Hello, Atridge. How are you this morning? Uh, before I start, I just want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters of the Mennonite Brethren Church in Mexico. And uh, I also bring you greetings from Jen and Sandra. They know you have supported MTC and a lot of their work. They thank you for your prayers. Uh, we are in the busy time at MTC right now with students, and uh, Nikki and I are just in awe watching them in their element as they pour their lives out into discipling uh, more workers for Latin America. And it's been really an exciting time. And so greetings from them, and uh, it's really exciting and an honor for me to be here to share with you from Scripture. A few weeks ago, I was here. I feel like I've flown a lot. Uh, A few weeks ago, though, I was here, and I was meeting with the leadership of your church and with some of the Northside people. And as I was flying out early one morning. You can hit my slide. I took this picture of Saskatoon, the beautiful city, and I was flying out, and I was just struck again by your mission statement as a church, to be a covenant community that loves God, disciples one another, and reaches out from the river to the ends of the earth. I love that picture, and so I was flying over Saskatoon, and I could just pick out the river between the lights, and I could just, I could just picture the the consuming love of God spreading out from those riverbanks out into Saskatoon. And then I was leaving Saskatoon and I was going to the ends of the world. And I felt like I was part of that transformation and part of that spreading the good news of Jesus out into the world. And so I was just really honored to be here and to be part of what you guys are doing and part of your mission. And so, like Bruce said, he said I could preach on anything I wanted as long as it was in Ephesians. And so I, get, I was like, great, I'll preach on two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, you're welcome to. But uh, I have it up here in the Common English Bible, so it'll be a little bit different than if you're looking in an NIV or NLT. It says this, God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill, and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his Son, This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with things on earth. And so the Bible tells us this story of how God has always been at work, steering humanity back to the way things were in the garden. And there are a lot of good moments, and there are a lot of moments that seem pretty bleak. And then, just at the right time, the climax of the story comes. This climax of the story, the center of our faith, is that Jesus, God with us, comes and is born, lives, dies, and rises again. And in doing so, Paul tells us that he reveals to us God's mysterious will, or the plan that he has had since the beginning. And what is that plan? It's that everything would be brought together under the authority rule, and lordship of Jesus. This is the great end goal that God has been moving the world towards. And so I I needed to get my money's worth from my seminary education, right? So what we're talking about is eschatology. We're asking what is the eschatological hope of the Christian? Or in real language, like that we actually use, what's the hope we have for the future? What is it that we're longing for and working towards? What is it that we as Christians are are moving to? The hope we have is that God is reconciling and will reconcile all things in Christ. N.T. Wright 
said that if the Protestant reformers had spent more time in Ephesians in general, and this verse in particular, rather than in Romans and Galatians, the history of the church would have been different. Because what Paul is talking about here is not something that will happen to us after we die. That's found in other places in the Bible. What Paul is talking about here, a little bit later in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4, is a gospel message that is about the here and the now. It is a gospel that has the power to bring reconciliation and unity now. And so Ephesians is a book about how God's reign and rule is breaking into the world through the church. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we sit with the life and teaching of Jesus, we begin to find that his primary emphasis is not how to get to heaven when you die, but how to bring about the qualities and the reign of the kingdom of God here and now. So this means for me, as a person who is a follower of Jesus, I am called to participate in God's reconciling and unifying work right now. Consider with me these two really simple English words. All things. God will reconcile all things. Do you believe it? Sometimes I think it's really easy to think that God can reconcile the good things I've done, right? The missions trip I went on, the time I sang on the worship team, the years and years of Sunday school service that I've been a part of. Yeah, God will bring that into completion. He'll make them even better. That's great. I can believe that. But what about the garbage of life? What about the difficult things? The depressing things? What about the abuse that was suffered? What about that divorce? Those angry outbursts? What about the great social evils of our world? The wars, the genocide, the racism, the hatred, the the famine. Paul writes that God's great plan for the climax of all times, his mysterious will, is to take all things, including the horrendous evil and pain that we have had to suffer, and somehow he will redeem even those. So like a week ago, we were in the grocery store in Mexico. And Levi was being a good seven-year-old boy and bugging his sisters. And I got so frustrated, I picked him out of the cart where he'd been sitting with his sisters. I put him on the ground. I was like, you're, that's it, you're walking, we're done. And we started walking, and, and Nikki and I were focused. We were going to church a little bit later in the evening. So we're like, okay, let's go. We've got to get ranch or something. And, and we go around the corner, and all of a sudden I go, where's Levi? Nikki looks at me and we're like, we don't see him. Okay, run back around the aisle. Levi! He's not there. Now, those of you who are parents who've lost a child in a grocery store know this feeling. Oh, Lord, please, everything everything I've stored. My heart is at a, even telling the story, like I can feel my heart rate elevating as this panic begins to set in. So Nikki is pushing the cart with the three girls down the one aisle at the far end, going up and down. I'm running back and forth, and now I start yelling, Levi, where are you? Levi, can't find him. Okay, now I'm booking it for the front door. They always have security guards, so I'm running. I'm like, and I forget every word of Spanish I know. (laughs) Mi hijo fuera, no, no sé. (laughs) No, no, he hasn't come. Okay. Nikki's running with the cart, and then she begins yelling, right? Levi! 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 He sticks his head from underneath the cart, 
What, Mom? This terrible moment is hilarious now. If I had to relive those five minutes again, I would, it, I would, I would never choose that. I had a panic. Oh, no, the, the cartel took my son. I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> but now it's funny. It's reconciling all things. Given time and space, the horrible things of our life can become better. The camping trip that you went on that was so terrible. Given enough time and distance, sometimes these things can become good. And that's a a silly example. It's it's not the reality of of a lot of life. There are other stories, and and the painful ones, and, and maybe you know them. Maybe you've lived them. When mom died when you were abused, when you suffered total financial loss. Maybe you can't see it yet, or maybe you can, but looking back, you can begin to see that God's fingerprints and his provision and his care and his presence was there in all of that as well. So I'm really honored that I get to share this story with you. And this next slide, this is my friend Israel. Uh, Israel is one of the students at Adime right now. His brother was a student the year before. Israel grew up uh, as an indigenous young person in Mexico uh, in an incredibly violent home. He was one of those kids that you see if you've been in Mexico and there's like those little five, six-year-old, seven-year-old kids that are going around trying to sell you candy. That was him. When he was six years old already, his dad would send him and his siblings out and say, don't come home unless you come home with 100 pesos, about $6 Canadian. If they didn't come home with the money, they would receive a beating. He said, my dad beat me all the time. He'd grab whatever was at hand and just beat me. It was violent. By seven, he was dealing marijuana, doing drugs. In his life, I honestly cannot imagine what he's gone through. As he grew older, he lived in the States for a number of years and he was working. While he was in the States, he met Jesus. And his family met Jesus. Eventually, his dad met Jesus. So he and his brother were in the States, and they heard that there was a revival breaking out in Guadalajara and said, hey, we want to go be part of that. And so they came back to Guadalajara, and they went, there's nothing here. I don't know what we heard about. But he and his family have started a church in their pueblo, in this little, incredibly poor neighborhood of Guadalajara. And they've started a church. And Israel says, boy, we wished we could have gotten some, like, adults to come to our church, but it's just kids. We have, like, 30 kids and two adults. And and this is the amazing story. He and his father and his brothers work together to bring in the kingdom of God into this neighborhood. They are a shining light of the gospel and the hope of unifying, reconciling that God can do. He says, I love my father. I'm proud to introduce him to people. That is the reconciling work of God. That is the work of the gospel. Nothing else can change that. And the amazing thing is to see him walk down the street and to see kids flock from all over and they come running his name, Isra, 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 because they've discovered that he is a safe and loving place. His heart is that no other child would have to live through what he had to live through. This is the hope that I have as a Christian. 
That God will reconcile all things. That He will bring all things together in Christ. I think this is what Paul is talking about. This is the kind of story that makes us excited. The hope we have in Jesus. That Christ will restore all things. That He can bring healing and unity and reconciliation. And that you and I have an opportunity to partner with Jesus in doing that right here and right now. Because I believe that God is the kind of God who can bring all things, even the bad, and bring wholeness and beauty and life. That God's power is that of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm not saying that one day we're going to laugh at the horror of life. But we will see that Jesus was able to reconcile it all. And so Colossians tells us that on the cross, Jesus destroys sin and death. He takes away the sin of the world and he kills it on the cross. He takes everything that the devil would say against us and accuse us with and he does away with it on the cross and reconciles us to God. It is the climactic moment in which God brings force to his plan to reconcile all things. In Revelation 21 verse 5, Christ from his throne declares, Behold, I am making all things new. But note that word, making. It is a current and ongoing process now. God is in the process of reconciling the world to himself. This is the great end to which the church is invited to participate with God in here. We are working with God to reconcile, to bring hope and newness into this world. A few weeks ago, I had the misfortune of going viral on Facebook. I had been following the story of uh, Gerald Stanley and Colton Bushy, and I was moved to add my voice on the matter. Not exactly sure what I was thinking. But I wrote and I posted it, and all of a sudden my Facebook just kept getting likes and shares and more likes and shares, and all of a sudden the thing was snowballing. The thing that moved my heart was a huge number of indigenous people offering me thanks and gratitude and expressing hope for reconciliation. I couldn't believe how many messages I received from people who simply thanked me for being kind and compassionate. I had one person who sent me a message thanking me for treating him as a human being. He said, and I quote, most people don't treat us as human. When I read that, I was like, wait, that's your experience? Most people don't treat you as a human? What century am I living in? If I claim to follow Jesus, then I have to view people as human. I have to view everyone as a beloved child of God. And I've been challenged in my own life not to just sit on the side, but to participate with God in his reconciling work. Based on the negative comments on my Facebook page, we have a lot of work to do. One of the things that God has been teaching me through that process about joining in his reconciling work is that I have to suspend my judgments and my excuses long enough to listen to the other person. Most people don't treat us as human. The lived experience of a man here, right now, in Saskatchewan. 
So I've never seen myself as a person who's really good at evangelism. It's one of my on and off guilt things, like, boy, I should really do more evangelism. However, through making one small act of support, by making one incredibly tiny step in reconciliation, I suddenly had dozens of opportunities to share my hope of transformation in Jesus. When we engage in the work of reconciliation between people, we are engaging in the work of Jesus. And so opportunities to speak of Jesus abound. Because we're living into, we are creating the kind of world that King Jesus wants to build. And so one of the things I kept saying to people in various ways was, because I'm a person who is committed to being transformed into the image of Jesus, my work is reconciliation. Which... I kind of stole from Bruce, because I know you've heard Bruce say it here, that as Anabaptists, Jesus is the center of our faith, community is the center of our lives, and reconciliation is the center of our work. So as Anabaptist people, we want to see people reconciled to God, and we want to see them reconciled to each other. Palmer Becker wrote this, I thought it was worth quoting in in length. He says, Christians are to be a blessing to people of all backgrounds, genders, and convictions. When we encounter individuals or groups in conflict with one another, we are to think reconciliation rather than judgment. But we cannot help others go farther than we ourselves have gone. And even as we seek to help others to be reconciled, we must keep growing in our own understanding of how we need to be changed. Because we need Jesus to be transforming us. And then we need to help others become reconciled as well. If God is reconciling all things, if Jesus is making all things new, then I want to work with God and not be resistant to his desire. So let's name that elephant in the room. There is no room in the church for racism. There is no room for divisions over personality or socioeconomic status. There is no room for the church to be splitting over theological minutia or biblical interpretation. Spencer was challenging us all last week that the goal of the church is to be unified. That is what we're asked to make. That's why we're asked to make every effort for unity, as Ephesians four three asks us to. Christ came to bring unity, and where there isn't unity reconciliation. And if we as the body of Christ can't get along with each other, then we're failing to let the power of the gospel work in our community. And then what kind of hope do we have to offer to the world? So we need to listen to Paul, Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made two groups, one, has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh and the law with its commands and regulations. I think blood's a weird metaphor today. Like, you're not at the work on Monday sitting around the Keurig or whatever you have there, and you're like, eh, how was your animal sacrifice on the weekend, right? And if that is your work experience, I really encourage you to quit and find a new job. Um, But blood was a powerful image in the ancient Near East. It was believed that the life and source of an animal or a person was found in the blood. It's why Jews were forbidden from eating meat with blood in it, because there were people that wanted to go get that life source, right? Jesus comes and says, drink my blood. 
Eat my flesh. Take on my life, my source, my power within you. You and I, we have the blood of Jesus in us. We have a new DNA because of Christ's work on the cross. 1 John 3 verse 9 says that God's seed is now in you. Or the, the one translation actually says God's DNA is in you. So I have a new identity. I have a new blood within me. And there is no us or them. We are all children of God. For Christ died for all. And so Bruce asked a few weeks ago when he was starting this series and talking about names that identify us, he said, what identifies us as followers of Jesus? Are we allowing our identity and our work to be in partnership with God? Our identities, brothers and sisters, are found in Christ. We've had a blood transfusion and the blood of Christ flows through us and our identities have to be found there if we're going to be different in this world. And because we are in Christ, we have a new identity, new power. We have received grace and mercy, and we can partner with God. We can confidently enter into the stories and the suffering of others. We can lean into their pain, and we can listen. Because our identities are securely found in Christ. One of my favorite passages in the Bible comes from 2 Corinthians 5. A whole other sermon that I can't preach now, but I would love to. 2 Corinthians 5. I always think if Jesus' command, this battle command is to go in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of the world, I sort of think of 2 Corinthians 5 as the how we're going to do it. One thing I just wanted to pick up from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Paul writes, So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Christ by human standards, this isn't how we know him now. I think it's so important in our work of reconciliation and how we view people. Because there were two ways of looking at Jesus. How did the first century Jews and Romans view Jesus on the cross? Well, they saw another criminal or insurrectionist dying a painful, shameful death. That was it. But Paul says, that's not how we see him now. When we, with faith, look upon Jesus, we see God in Christ absorbing our violence, taking away our sin, and reconciling us to God. We see Christ differently with spiritual eyes. And then Paul says, in the same way, we will not recognize people by human standards. We will not recognize people through our human eyes, but we will see them with spiritual eyes. We will see them as the beloved of God for whom Christ died. We will see all people as children who need to be reconciled to the Father. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, and so join. We are ambassadors. We say, be reconciled to God. God the Father has many children that have wandered away. And he wants them reconciled and brought back. Our world has many people that are broken relationship and divisions. God wants to see them reconciled. I've heard it said this way. As a Christian, you have one job. It is to view all people as worthy of the unsurpassable love of God. They are all people for whom Christ died. So James Penner gave a huge challenge. I was listening. You might have caught this. I've been listening to your sermons. And so I was driving to do an airport pickup and I was listening to James and I was like, 
oh my goodness, I like pull over and well, you don't pull over to text in Mexico. So I was texting, I was like typing it out as I'm driving. <laughs> so James said this. He said, our salvation is an invitation to participate in the restoring, healing, reconciling work of Jesus in our world that he began on the cross and that he is continuing today. We are to be a community of people that, where love takes the place of the attack and distancing that inhabits the broken and sin-filled social structures of the world. A community where forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration occurs and dominates in the realm of our relationships, and we are to reach out to the broken and the lost and the oppressed and invite them into the way we do things around here. Like, is there an amen to that? Ephesians is such a powerful book because it is full of practical challenge on how we're going to live our lives today. It offers us the great hope that everything that we have suffered and go through will be redeemed. That there is no thing beyond the scope of God's redemptive work on the cross. But at the same time, it doesn't allow us to sit back and applaud and, and, you know, from a distance and say, oh, that's great, God's going to restore and redeem everything. Good job, God. The book of Ephesians challenges us at every corner, every turn to break down the walls that separate us. The walls of separation that become a breeding ground of distrust and eventually hatred. It challenges us by telling us that where we have built up dividing walls, where our relationships are left unreconciled, we are actually working against the ultimate will and plan and purpose of God. The book of Ephesians says to you and me, what are you going to do? Will you join as ambassadors of God, preaching the reconciliation of the cross and living out our new identity in Christ? So I'm really excited I've been, as I've been listening to, to what you've been studying and what you've been learning. I'm excited to see that the Holy Spirit is at work at Forest Grove in all of your sites. I'm excited that you and I are invited by God, to work at expanding his kingdom here. And so let's go. Let's be kingdom people. Let us take on our new identity in Christ and bring the work of reconciliation out into our families, our neighborhoods, our city, and the world. So that the world will know that Jesus is Lord and that he has reconciled all things together. In him. Amen.